I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Friday. The biggest bet in Super Bowl history, perhaps we think, has been made. We know the bet's been made. We think it's the biggest ever. A better put $2.3 million on the Tampa Bay Bucks to win $2 million at plus three and a half. Laid the 115. What a bet. Speaking of bets, over 500 proposition bets are up. Early action, Kelsey over. Optimism for Kelsey, Goodwin under, under. Speaking of betting, we've got next year's Super Bowl odds. The favorite, Kansas City. Yes, but what's interesting, 6-1. to one. Green Bay 10-1, Bills 11-1, Tampa Bay 11-1. It doesn't matter who you are in the NFL. You're not a favorite to get to the Super Bowl. Let's appreciate this one. Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. Live on a Friday, live from Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. This is the first Friday in a long time that doesn't have the games just happening. And you know what? That means it's an opportunity. We're going to be looking at all of these prop bets. What people don't realize is back in the day, the old advice was the Super Bowl is just one game. And it is just one game. It's one game that you can make 500 separate bets on. And a guy like our co-host Steve Fezzik in studio with us, he usually has about 30 of them. Would you say that's right, Steve? Over, under for your bets on the game. This is before the game even starts. In game, you'll do more probably, but about 30? Absolutely, RJ, and I currently stand at 11. So you've got, you're saying these, the props just started. I mean, yesterday was a big release day on Thursday, and you're saying you already have 11 bets down. I do. How much, how much, how many good positions do you have for me? <laughs> we will talk off air. Oh, that, 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 that's a little trick you got to know, Jonas, is whenever Feds doesn't want to answer, he'll talk about some later indeterminate <laughs> date. Well, sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. We're the pros. He's the Joe. Jonas Knox in L.A. Always good to be here, RJ, and yes, on a day in which we've got more quarterback drama in the NFL. We've got a big-time bet on Super Bowl 55. What is the Vegas lead here on this Friday? I think we start with that gigantic bet, and then we segue into the props, because really, the action has really heated up. I get when the line comes out, there's a little bit of movement, but of that, you know, these days, I think it's fair to say 60 plus percent of the overall betting on the Super Bowl is prop related. And Fez, honestly, one of the best prop players walking the earth. We're going to try to exploit him. No, no. We're going to get some information from him. I think we start with the betting. 
Yeah, and there was a $2.3 million wager on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at plus three and a half that would pay out about $2 million bucks, RJ. So there's that story that's out there. Plus, Super Bowl props are starting to come out fast and furious as we get set for the big game a little over a week away from now. And Fez had, I thought, a very insightful comment in pre-show about the sharpness of this bet because you might think, wait a minute. million dollars whoo wee that must be the best better in the world and typically if not a vast majority of the time bets that big are not from sharps they're from people who are maybe hedge fund guys maybe looking for publicity maybe who knows what right someone inherited a bunch of money it's not usually the smartest money and the rationale of that is, well, why would this Super Bowl be such an outstanding bet? Like, you didn't bet any games during the NFL regular season, but you're betting $2 million now. I mean, that happens a lot. This is the one bet a guy will make a year. Because think about it. If you're worth a half a billion dollars or a billion dollars, you know, $2 million is nice money, but it's like, you know, 100 200 bucks is to me. So, yeah, you want to get down. You want the publicity, but it's not necessarily sharp. Fez, you noticed something about this bet that maybe this is sharper than the typical big bet. Yeah, and the reason being, if you scoured every sports book in Nevada and really in the U.S., you could not find a better number on Tampa Bay than plus 3.5, minus 115. So this better got the absolute best possible odds despite wagering Two million dollars. That uh, that's a very rare. Typically, when someone bets that much on something, they have to compromise on the line that they receive. I disagree with you. I don't think they compromise. I think what ends up happening is they are oblivious to it. Mm. I mean, because under a compromise would be the following: you would start betting at the place with the best number. So let's say I had total market insight. I knew every available outlet. And let's say that the analogy is getting gas, right? When you get gas, what do you typically do? You, you have your favorite gas station that's on the way, that's convenient. But if it's within your line of vision and across the street is two cents cheaper, you go across the street most of the time. But you usually aren't accessing a database of every up to the minute gas price and saying, oh, over here in Summerlin, it's offered for two cents a gallon. Because you're just, it's not, you're not that price sensitive, right? Now, I will say, I've known a lot of, it's funny, I knew a gambler when I was, hadn't even moved to Vegas, right? I was just out of college and I was playing poker. It was a 4-8 limit game. So there wasn't much to be made, but I was probably making 200 a week, you know, playing once a week. It was a nice little stream of income at the time. And the guy who was the head of the game was like maybe in his mid forties, but he'd been playing poker for 20 plus years. And, you know, the guy would lose five, 600 if it was a bad night, you know, anyone would a real bad night. And at one point he goes, you know, I'll walk for 20 minutes to save 10 cents on grapes. He goes, <laughs> but I've just, lost, I just lost four, you know, and it's true. Gambling's like that, but most people aren't that price sensitive about things, but a winning, at least if it's hard to be right on Amazon, it's easy. I give me the cheaper price, right? In sports betting, it's not easy. It's not like Amazon. You've got to make the effort to find the odds. Like at pregame.com, we have an odd screen. They have the odds for the big things like the games, but if props or stuff, you got to go look around. It's tough. And if you're betting big, big money, 
and across the street, there's literally better odds, but you bet at another place at worse odds and you're betting millions, it doesn't make any sense, except it proves a lot of these guys aren't price sensitive. And if you think, it, because it's it, it's a whim to them. It, Fez, if you think back to it, the way I think you would see having to compromise would be they say, okay, on the first 500,000, we'll give you three and a half. Then on the next 250, we're going to give you three and a half, but you got to lay 125. You know, usually there's going to be a ladder effect. Do you agree with that? Yes, that's a great point because the book doesn't mind giving you an enormous bet, provided they can keep moving it after sequentially after certain limits are reached. So I was shocked that the MGM just took it all at one price here, two million dollars. But if you're a price sensitive better, you're going to then go. You're going to set it up beforehand, and you're going to go to the MGM who has the best number, and you're going to say, "How much will you give me?" And if you don't give me that, because remember, the MGM not only wants his bet because they think they're going to win on it they long term they want it because of the publicity we're talking about the MGM right now so we're on 225 stations and we're one of many shows doing it probably so to me they're motivated to take these kind of bets so the guys will come in and negotiate it and then even if they say a million's all we're going to take and then we move it a quarter you know or whatever we move it right is then the guy's going to say, all right, I'll do a million with you, but I'm going to set up the rest of it. They go down the street, they negotiate that price. And usually, but then the guy who wants publicity doesn't have just one ticket. So really the interesting thing about this, some of it is rich people that just don't care. They just want to be amused. Some of it is that we don't even hear about the bets because they're going to be at multiple different places and the meaning maybe they do have two million down, but it's at four different spots because they couldn't get it all in one place. So in general, I think we can agree that this isn't a story of wow, a big batter. It's a story of someone who probably isn't a professional, wanting action, and is balancing the best number with publicity, with other factors. Maybe they're uh, a table player and they want better table term this is uh, there's usually more going on with these kind of bets and what we see in this case so the fact that he got the best number for the whole piece tells us that he may be more sophisticated than a typical gigantic batter would you agree with that yes absolutely and it sounds like you part of it you don't agree with like push back if you don't like what part do you maybe not agree with you know i think that what might what be happening here is that for the MDM to take such a huge wager, RJ, I can understand that for all the reasons that you laid out. But the surprising thing is after the wager was made, they're still sitting at the very same odds. Now so that, that's fascinating because a minimum you think you'd move it a dime, you know, move it down to, you know, three and a half or three. Because remember now, and this bears repeating, we're straight out of Vegas. I'm RJ Bell, Steve Fezzik, Jonas Knox, is three is the most valuable number in the NFL. Why is it valuable? Because the outcomes of the games fall three more than any other number. It's the most common margin of victory, favorite winning by three. Thus, to have plus three and a half is more valuable compared to three than, let's say, having plus five and a half is compared to five, because not many games fall five. So how do they split the action? They don't just move from two and a half to three to three and a half because it's too big of a move. It's worth about 20 cents. So effectively, what they do is they move the VIG. They move the lay price. So typically, if you're laying minus 110, 
Okay, now, if you're laying minus 3, minus 120, you're laying an extra dime. So that's a way to kind of move in between the two. Minus 3, minus 130 is effectively minus 3.5, minus 110 because it's about worth 20 cents. So think about it. It moves up a half, and then it's a 20-cent adjustment. would be the same thing in the money line. So what you're saying, Fez, is... It's plus three and a half minus one fifteen. So you're paying a little extra for the three and a half because the market right now is what? What would you say is the overall consensus market on the game? Three point one five so minus li- three, late dollar twenty. Than, yeah, a little bit more than three, right? But minus yes. three minus the dollar twenty, if you if we thought about the math we just explained, would actually be three point two five, right? It'd be halfway in between the two. Yeah. It would be. So it's minus three, minus, let's say, 116 or something. You know, it's a little over minus 110, right? So to get three and a half, which is worth 20 cents, and only have to pay a nickel more, minus 115, is actually a very good number. And the fact that they took two million at it, the MGM, and still haven't moved it, maybe, Fez, that tells us why they took the bet to start with. For whatever reason, they want Tampa Bay money. Exactly. They must have some exposure to uh, with Kansas City already, or maybe they just strongly feel Kansas City's the right side based upon their information. And think about that. What could the exposure be? It could be they have a huge future exposure on Kansas City, or uh, so they want to have Tampa Bay money, so if they have to pay out on Kansas City. If you, no, my understanding is most places don't have big Kansas City future exposure. Maybe they made some private, they took a private bet we don't even know about for $2 million on the other side. I don't know, right? But what we know is the fact that the best odds available anywhere in the country, and I mean Jersey, wherever, were the odds this guy took means he's fairly sharp probably. The fact that the MGM was given the best number for Tampa means they wanted Tampa action. It's like, think about it. If you're selling cars and you want to sell the yellow car, you make the yellow car more attractive financially, the price, right? In this case, they made Tampa attractive. But the real shocker was they took the biggest bet perhaps ever recorded and they didn't move the number, which is code for, come on, everyone, we're still at the market best. Give us more Tampa. Come on, punks. I mean, it's bold, and it is confusing, but it is noteworthy. Jonas Knox, which, as the fans' perspective, what do you think of this? Well, see, I was going to ask you guys, and I think it answered my question, the fact that the line didn't move after the bet was placed. Do sports books ever negotiate? Does a guy ever walk in with enough money and say, hey – can you give me this line at minus 115? If not, I'll just go across town where it's minus 120 and I have a better relationship, but I'm willing to give you my business. Do mm. sports books negotiate like that? And the fact that the line didn't move tells me that wasn't this situation here. But have you seen that before to where they want your business, they want to bet like this, so they're willing to give you the, the, the line yes. that you prefer based on the amount of money you're spending? Okay, so you're asking – a great question, but there's actually two questions there. The one that's easy to answer is, do they negotiate? And the answer is yes. Uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, Faz is the type to try to figure out how to get an extra buffet ticket, right? <laughs> I, I mean, true or false, Faz? Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, you were telling a story recently on the podcast that you go and get a. I mean, this is crazy. You get a breakfast comp, 
And then you come back later and say, oh, I didn't use this. Can I have a dinner comp? Then you come back the next day and say, can I have two because my wife is with? Like you've got some ladder <laughs> approach to get like two $14 buffets, right? Once you get one <laughs> comp in your pocket, you can almost always talk them into an upgrade. Yes. <laughs> The question is, do you want to demean yourself to do that? But apparently you have no problem. Now, do you ever think of hiring like a child who may, maybe has a disability to then try to like get something extra, just have the kid like a prop in the back? I mean, is that where you draw the line, though? Well, Johnny stayed below six years old at buffets until he was nine. <laughs> you know something? I get on you, but I got to tell the truth on one thing. So I've got a niece uh, and at the time, she was she was tall for her age, you know, young niece, and she was uh, maybe ten, maybe nine. But six is typically the, you know, so every Thanksgiving they come out, you know, the family does, and we go to dinner a bunch. And she looks at me and goes, "Uncle Randy, do I need to act like I'm six years old again this year?" <laughs> she was so upset. <laughs> I said, "Just one more year." <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I only asked about kids because, you know, props, because, I mean, again, it's, it's again, since I was paying for her meal, it seems like the least she could do, right? So, all right, straight out of Vegas, let's quickly touch on some of the moves that, oh, I'm sorry, Jonas, I didn't finish the whole answer. Let me do that quickly because it's a great point. Yes, they'll negotiate like crazy. Will they actually change the odds? Yes, but they don't like to talk about it. And what they call this is flashing a number. So it is, and Fez, correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, is it's illegal to offer any sports bet to one person but not make it publicly available. So what will happen is, and we'll say hypothetically here, is let's say that someone wants um, plus 10 on an NBA game and it's nine and a half. For whatever reason, the book wants this action, though. And someone says, can you give me 10? And it's usually a phone call, and it's usually going to be a big bet, 100,000 kind of, you know. And they'll say, okay, we'll flash this at 11 o'clock. So what happens is there's a set time. Usually there's not going to be any business. It's, it's, things are dead. And boom, if you were sitting there, boom, it's at 10. The bet's already counted out. They make it, and they flash it back within 10 seconds. Wow. So, so you really can't bet it even if you were watching it. But it's legal. But here's the thing. They have, if you go to pregame and actually click in and look at the archive, that bet shows, not the bet, but the line move shows up. So you'll see it, just these these very, very irrational moves in them back in 10 seconds. It's not common, but that's how they pull that off. But it's more rare than negotiating, hey, will you give me a room or will you give me what you know a buffet or whatever? Fez, do you agree with that? Yeah, that's spot on. It's so frustrating as a better when you're watching like a hawk, and like you said, RJ, there's just not enough time to spot the move and get your bet down because they're catering to one big better, then they move back. But remember now, they only cater to you if they think they're going to beat you. They know they're not beating Fez. They hate Fez. I mean, he literally is the most hated man in, in, in the sports books because he's always trying to get over on them. True, Fez? And I'm trying to get comped also. True. <laughs> Somehow he plays all. And the beauty is you don't have to fight him. You can join him right here on Straight Out of Vegas. So let's do this. Let's take our first break. When we come back, Fez is going to – he was down at the Westgate where they opened a bunch of props last night. And he's going to give us the impressions of what the betting action tells us. 
are they pro Kelsey? Are they pro Good Goodwin? It's it's or Godwin. It really is something you can look at the props and see what the sentiment of the betters is. He's R.J. Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments from now, we will get into the prop betting market for Super Bowl 55. Yeah, millions of dollars, multiple millions bet. Great day to join us. Yeah, this is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. The audience has doubled in the last year plus. And again, that's all cause of you. We thank you so much for the support. Come the weekend, especially with two weeks before the Super Bowl, good time to catch up on the podcast. Just search straight out of Vegas on your favorite pod player. Boom, it's right there. The whole week's worth of info. It's all free, by the way. Right here in Las Vegas on the Strip, 50 degrees, the neon is flowing. So, RJ, we are a little over a week away from Super Bowl 55, but you don't have to wait for kickoff in order to get in on the action. Prop bets are up and prop bets are available to the public. Yeah, and it's funny. You know, it's always great when we get feedback in real time. So my Twitter, at RJ in Vegas, you can always shoot me something. And sometimes I'm looking on the commercial and we can respond to it. One of the things I saw today on the commercial was you're telling me, you know, the question was you're telling me that none of the big bets are ever sharps and, you know, the million dollar bets. And it's a great question because I kind of implied most of the time it's not. And it is not most of the time. But Jonas, sometimes there's a handful of the biggest batters, the syndicates. Uh, we'll say allegedly, blah, blah, blah. But Billy Walters, uh, who's been in the news recently, where he got a uh, type of clemency after he served the term for insider trading on the stock market, um, he had a 60 Minutes special on him re- uh, a couple years ago where you know he was talking about he's made $300 million dollars if I recall the number and him saying it um, on sports betting, he's probably the most, in fact, almost certainly the most successful batter ever in sports. And he's on record of explaining that usually he doesn't love the Super Bowl, right? He thinks the line is right. But when the line's wrong, the biggest batters love the Super Bowl because there's so much liquidity. You can bet so much on it that usually the biggest problem for these guys is actually betting on the Super Bowl, or I'm sorry, check that, getting enough down on the games they bet. In the Super Bowl, they're actually able to get down as much as they want. And Fez, would you agree that amongst the biggest syndicates, them having winning information is almost a sure thing in the long run? The only question is the overhead that they have to carry with all the people. There might be 20, 30 people in the syndicate working together, spending time. They all need their taste they got to bet 100000 plus a game, and often the ability to get down the money is the key differentiator for them. Would you agree with that? Great point. you got 10 guys working together. If you can only get down 10000 sounds like a lot. That's only $1,000 a man and a lot of expenses. And oftentimes, the smaller groups are going to be multiple bettors. Fez does that, has done that, teaming up. But the biggest syndicates are more like a company. 
Right? They got a guy that does the weather, and he gets paid full time. He might get 10% of the win, but he's getting his 130000 a year. I mean, it's a serious – it's like a hedge fund, right? But for the stock – or not for the stock market, but for the betting market. But on the Super Bowl, they can get whatever they want ultimately because there's so much liquidity, there's so, which is a fancy word for there's just a lot of bets. So the, the mirages, MGMs of the world are more comfortable taking a $2 million bet if there's going to be $30 million bet on the game at their place, let's say, as opposed to if there's $3 million bet, they're not going to take a $2 million bet because if the overall action is only $3 million, they're not going to take over half of that on one bet. So it is a t- when they the sharp, sharp, sharp syndicates do like an NFL side in the Super Bowl. They will bet gigantic. Most of the time, there's a gigantic bet. It's not from the sharps um, on the Super Bowl. Fez, let's shift to the props. You were down at the Westgate, which has been one of the innovators when it comes to uh, the wide variety of props. What was your number? Let's go through two or three takeaways. What was your biggest takeaway from what you saw with the movement and such in the batting? The Tampa Bay wide receiver Godwin, I'm seeing all kinds of sharp money on him under for reception yards. So he was at 79. He's down to 75. And the more I look at this, RJ, it makes a whole lot of sense because you look at these Tampa Bay receivers and they've been banged up. We saw Antonio Brown. He barely played the last two playoff games. Now he's going to play. Mike Evans, a guy, RJ, you were on, him not being 100%, him being injured. I know you played him under during the playoffs, but now Mike Evans— Against the Saints specifically because of the matchup. Because Evans had a nice game against Green Bay, numbers-wise. But go ahead. Yes, much better than the, 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 the game you bet when he only got three yards. But both those guys trending upwards, you know, there's one football. So if there's more production from them, if little Scotty Miller's getting more catches, Gronk's going to get his time. At some point, the production and the targeting to Godwin has to go down. So I agree very much with this move from 79 down to 75 reception yards. Here's the paradox, though. Fez didn't see that initially. He wasn't like, you know, God went under. Now he gets the information that the line move gives him, but he has to play the worst number. And that's always the, if he plays it. And that's always the challenge. You want to see what the Sharps are doing, but when the Sharps do something, they tend to move the line. And now you've got to take it at a lesser number. And people, if they think about the Sharps as magicians, as people that know the future, that's not what it is. A Sharp just wins one more game every 20 games. A drunk baby flipping coins wins 50% of the time. I didn't get the baby drunk, but still, a drunk <laughs> baby flipping coins 50% of the time. Fezzik, his goal, a professional better's goal was 55. The difference is one winner every 20 games additional. So, The numbers matter. Every half point matters. And in general, the more sensitive someone is to a half point, the sharper they are. Someone who's not sensitive is – Fred, you know one winning long-term sports batter that's not sensitive to the number. Not a one. You can't win. I mean, it's what you're doing is getting the best number. That's why you win. In any given game, you can win for a bunch of reasons. But over 100 games, 1,000 games – a lifetime of games. You only win if the number's wrong and you got the best number. I'm RJ Bell, straight out of Vegas. So on one hand, we got this information. Now we got to ask ourselves, do we like it Godwin under because we're now going under a lower number, four yards less? Let me pose the following to you, Faz. 
And I'm going to ask Jonas this question, too. How do you account for the first game? They, these teams have played. And you could make the case it was a tale of two games, domination by KC early. Was it that, here's the question, did Tampa Bay figure out the defense and we should expect just a continuation of that surge? Tampa had to come make it a three-point game and cover, plus three and a half? Or is it a situation where Kansas City just got bored and allowed Tampa back into the game? And specifically, Godwin actually had a heck of a game for the first game. He had like almost 100 yards. Does that concern you on the under? It is a concern, and I'm frankly going to have to go back and look through because I know Tampa Bay got 14 late points against prevent defense. I want to see how much of that was to Godwin, but the fact that Tampa Bay put up so much offense late in the game makes me less inclined to fear big uh, production offensively from that first meeting. That's a sophisticated point. So if Godwin had 96 yards and didn't get many yards in the fourth quarter, those are legitimate yards. You could say, okay, if somehow he had 55 on the last couple of possessions when it was prevent, it's not as telling. It's a great, great point. Jonas, how are you as a fan, but obviously predicting what you think is going to happen, accounting for the first game? Well, I, I don't know that you can take a whole lot from it because we've talked about it. It felt like Kansas City got out to this lead and then just sort of coasted and then Tampa Bay, you know, scored some points down the stretch. I think both teams are are different now. I think Tampa Bay is a better team. I also would argue I think Kansas City is a better team as well, too, just based on the fact that we've seen them when they step their foot on the gas like they did last week against Buffalo, what they're capable of. I, I just when it comes to props and receiver props with the Buffalo, Buccaneers. One of the things that I've always noticed about Tom Brady, he loves to throw to his running backs, especially in the Super Bowl. When they made that run against Atlanta, James White, you could argue, should have been the MVP based on all the receptions he had. I wonder if it's not wiser to look at running back reception props in this game, knowing that that's Brady's great safety valve, sort of safety blanket that he goes to in big time games, as we've seen throughout the course of his career. Here's my question, though. How much, if we're saying, what do we expect from Brady? And we said, how much of it is the reality of the Super Bowl and how that's going to affect his play? As it may be more conservative. Everybody knows the whole three points in the first quarter is all nine Super Bowls combined. I mean, it's amazing, but it's a known thing. That isn't that New England didn't want to win. They won a bunch. It was they know you can lose in the first quarter, but you can't win in the, win it in the first quarter. And they were conservative. And you know what? They've done pretty well. Tampa, it feels like, with Brady, is not near as conservative generally. And it feels like in the conference championship game, where it would be the starting point where you would expect them to regress to maybe Brady's preference, my take, Fez, was they were pretty aggressive in that game. And thus, if they weren't starting to fall back into conservative Brady, Belichickian Brady, then is there any reason at home, especially, that we would think he will? I don't think so. I think he's got those great wide receivers, and especially now that they're healthy. Now that Evans is healthy and A.B. is back, I expect him fully to be winging it to his wide receivers. And I don't think, and Jonas, maybe here's something to ponder, and I want your thought, is I don't think he thinks, if you tell Brady a scale 1 to 100, what what kind of performance do you need to win this game? He's not, you know, he's had games when they were seven point favorites against Carolina in the Super Bowl. He probably would have said a forty, right? Now he he doesn't. I don't know if he'd say it, but the truth would be, I can play a little below average, and we can still win. I think he's got to hit what a seventy five in this game. 
So if you know Mahomes is going to score and you're Brady, you're getting ready for a shootout. I tend to like the over here. I know it's high, but I, I got a feeling we're going to see a shootout. But I don't I don't see how Brady wins the game by being too conservative. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think if – well, I would say this. If one team's going to trail in this game by double digits at any point, I would think it's going to be Tampa Bay. I could see Tampa Bay trailing by double digits at any point in this game. And then from that, in that sense, that would make me look at a couple of things. Number of players with a reception on the Bucks, And then also that's when I would really start to like throwing to the running back because I think – with Bruce Arians' offense, yes, they're going to continue to take shots downfield. But if it gets to the point to where you've got to you know, make some plays and you've got to pick up some yardage and you've got to do it throwing the football, I don't know that they're going to want to sit back and let Tom Brady throw deep the entire game because he did get into trouble a little bit last week against Green Bay when he had to do that. Yeah, and, and I think that Tampa Bay's propensity to run too much early in games hurts them because if they get behind, they'll throw, which is good. But if they're ahead, they're going to keep running, which means they won't stay ahead. I, If I had Tampa bet, and I don't yet, and I don't think I will, I would love Tampa to just be hog-wild aggressive. I think that's the only way you win here. Yeah. But again, it's a great conversation. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. Cheney's strength coach, and I got to know him a little bit, and... Cheney used to like they had practice every day during the season at 5 a.m. He figures the kids aren't going to be getting in trouble if they got to get up at five. I think there's some truth to that. All right. We got our last commercial. When we come back, we're talking about big bets. There's literally a multiple billion dollar bet happening on Wall Street right now that's unlike anything we've ever seen. It really could be history in the making. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And R.J., we've been looking at the props release for Super Bowl 55, and we've got one more to dive into. Yeah, this is uh, one that obviously... Kelsey, the tight end, very popular. But remember, guys, and Fez is going to help us understand this, there's times the Sharps and the recreational betters are going to like the same thing, especially if it's an over on a popular player. Fez, that's what you see in this game, this matchup. Absolutely. So everyone, the Sharps and the public, likes Kelsey to go over, open 94 reception yards, up to 98. RJ, I think it's going to keep going up. The Sharps I spoke to say basically – Tyreek Hill is going to kill you with big plays. It is much better, and, and Hill killed Tampa Bay in the first meeting. So the feeling is, you know, Kelsey's going to get his 15- and 18-yard passes down the middle, but at least you're going to go ahead and make Kansas City earn it on their drive. So the Sharps think Kelsey's going to have another big game, and certainly the public is looking at Kelsey averaging 113 in the playoffs. They're going to bet him over as well. If you like the over, bet over now. I think it only goes even higher from the current 98 number. And and that's good big picture advice is this used to be the advice on all games. I don't think it applies as much, but on props, it does for sure. 
if you like the public side, which is all, almost always going to be the over, more scoring, root for that, bet it as early as possible. Because as more and more recreational bettors get involved, they will bet the over and the line will go up. It will get more expensive. So if you like unders, wait probably till game day. Now, this is a broad recommendation, but you're going to be right at least 60 plus percent of the time in that you'll get a better number on overs early, better number on unders late. Speaking of overs, billion dollar talk uh, with, I think, a very interesting Wall Street story, Jonas. Yeah. And RJ, you were talking about the billions on Wall Street. What is the voice of Vegas's thought? Well, I tell you, it's the big casino, as they say, right? And (laughs) I just kind of want to point this out because I believe this really is a, I think it's fair to say a historic event. So there's a company, a retail outlet, GameStop, and it's effectively an old techno or an old um, economy type. Hey, it's at the mall. If you're going to the mall, the kids are going to want to go get a game. Hey, let's go play Nintendo. But as everyone who's maybe not super aware of this story might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Can't you download those games now? Why do you have to go? Isn't COVID-19? Like, it seems like if there was ever a time that GameStop wouldn't be a company to have a big investment in, it would be during COVID-19 as we're moving away from physical cartridges or any physical version of the game. But on a Reddit forum, Wall Street Bets, they, over many months, came up with a plan to take down the hedge funds. Now, this sounds crazy, right? This is David versus Goliath because the hedge, fund, the hedge funds have actually been shorting GameStop. So what does shorting mean? It's effectively they're betting against it. So if it goes down, it means the hedge funds would make money. And what these hedge funds do, they're ruthless. I mean, big time. Bobby Axelrod is nothing with these guys. They'll do whatever it takes to get to kill a company that they are betting against. And kill isn't the right word, but crush is, is probably the right word. And what happens is in Elon Musk, who a lot of people, you know, very rich man, I think sometimes at different points, the richest guy in the world, he hates shorts because he thinks it doesn't do anything for the economy and it just is a way to make money, but it's not fair in his thoughts. Well, they started shorting GameStop and literally the guys on Wall Street, guys and gals on Wall Street bets have fought back. And it sounds kind of absurd, but literally at this point, the hedge funds have lost $19 billion based on this. If you haven't checked it out, just do a search for GameStop. It's something I think that tells you a lot about markets and it tells you something about 2021. And it's a great, great story to follow. We are back on Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Super Bowl week and we bring it to you Vegas style right here on FSR. Right out of Vegas! Vegas! 